0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Welcome to Sanctuary. Are you seekers? This is Sanctuary. That is our name and mission. All those who seek peace and truth are welcome here. I am Lab Tech One. Lab Tech One, how do you come by that name? That is the name given those who guide seekers. The honored name given by those who begin Sanctuary. And can you take us to Sanctuary? But you're here. This valley all around you is sanctuary. Have other runners been here? I do not know of runners.
1: People from the City of Domes.
0: People from the City of Domes? hmm One thought does occur. the sanctuary may represent different things to different people.
2: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March 2nd, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the
3: world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into
2: color, color into black
0: and white. Under the clothes, everything will be
2: Well, if you ever wanted to see a demonstration of how the word sanctuary may represent different things to different people in real life, you just had to hear all the public controversy, debate, and high emotions expressed over that very concept that took place in London, Ontario over the past week. A public meeting was held on the idea of London, Ontario being declared a sanctuary city last Thursday, with both sides, or I guess you could say many sides, expressing their views. And I'm hoping that over the course of our show today, we'll be able to discover just what transpired at that meeting, because a key player at the heart of the controversy is the man who has launched an online petition that is kind of difficult to misinterpret in any way. Quote, no to London, Ontario... Becoming a Sanctuary City. And that is our in-studio guest, Amir Farahi of the London Institute. Welcome, Amir. Thank you for having me. I'm certainly looking forward to the discussion. But before we get underway, I have an obligation to fulfill, and that's to remind our listeners that they can and should. Write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including
3: Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. Well, Amir, welcome to the show. I first have an impression of Sanctuary when I think of the Lon Chaney movie, uh, Hunchback of, of Notre Dame, where he's grabbing the woman who's about to be burnt at the stake for being a witch, and he takes her up to the cathedral, and he cries out, Sanctuary! what's wrong with sanctuary? What is sanctuary?
4: Well, the term is really originating uh, or has originated in the U.S. The U.S. has had a history of providing sanctuary for undocumented illegal aliens. And the term itself, sanctuary, it really means providing uh, a safe haven for those that are facing trouble in their life or injustice or that sort of thing. But It's kind of different when you look at it from a political perspective and from uh, what seems to be the case in in the U.S., which is providing a safe haven for those that have really broken the law, broken the immigration process, and have bypassed a line that many others are following legally. Uh, To me, Sanctuary City, and, and really to almost every city that is implemented, it really means that we provide municipal services to those that are undocumented, those that are illegally here, uh, without any fear. And the biggest part of this is the police, and that the police will essentially protect illegal immigrants without reporting what they have done or their documentation to the Canada Border Service Agency, or in the case of the United States, the uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement.
3: So there's nothing necessarily wrong with the word sanctuary. It implies that there's an injustice being done and normally, a church um, in the past yeah. would take somebody in because the law of the land is an unjust law, but that's not what we're talking about here today. It seems because Canada cannot be accused of having unjust immigration laws. If anything, that's for sure. <laughs> it errs on the side of perhaps being too open in some cases, at least in my opinion. So, could this just then be a misuse? a bastardization, if you will, of a good word, sanctuary, being taken up by people for an ulterior motive, not certainly one of justice. Do you think that might be the case?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is nothing short of politicians being opportunistic, virtue signaling, politicians taking advantage of humans that that really are actually hurting themselves by going through the process of illegally migrating into, into Canada for political, social brownie points. I mean, it's nothing short of that. So
3: we're not talking about refugees because there is Don't. a proper process for that. We're not talking about legal immigrants. There's a proper process for that and one that is um, very open and uh, quite easy, although, I mean, there's a lot of paperwork involved, certainly both in the United States and Canada, so we're not talking about them. We're actually talking about, when we talk about sanctuary cities, about people whose first act upon entering this country or the United States is to break the law. That is their first act of immigration is to become a criminal, if not in fact, but certainly um, uh, morally. And just to put a um, an emphasis on how serious an act or crime that they're committing the Canadian um, Criminal Code says that forgery of or uttering a forged passport is liable up to five years in prison. Impersonating another person, which is part of what sometimes being illegal immigrant they sometimes do is to impersonate a person to gain advantage for themselves or another person, to avoid arrest or prosecution. You could be imprisoned for up to 10 years for doing these things. And now we have cities suggesting that we turn a blind eye on these particularly very serious crimes.
4: Absolutely, you're, you're, you're correct, actually. And what's troubling to me is that just last year, the federal government of Canada reported that in 2016, 310 terrorists, criminals, and spies tried to sneak in to Canada, and 1.4 million visas, visa applications were rejected.
2: That's from Canada.
4: That is in Canada. Yes. Wow. And the reason why those visa applications were rejected is because the applicant was not being truthful to the government when they went through the vetting process. For example, those who are not admitted into the United States because perhaps the the US government realized that those coming from the seven countries are not supposed to be in the US for national security concerns, for health reasons, financial reasons, humanitarian reasons. I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why you're not admissible to coming into a certain country. Now we're saying that those people who are banned from coming into the US can come into cities like London, Ontario, into Toronto, into Montreal. And that is the motion that was actually passed by London's own city council and that they said those who have been banned by the seven countries under the executive order of Donald Trump can now be and should be provided sanctuary, a safe haven in London, Ontario, without having them go through the due process, without having them actually go through the proper immigration process to be able to for us to determine whether they're, they're right, rightfully here.
2: It makes you wonder what that one point something million people who got rejected might be thinking about this right now. Do you think there's any possibility that some of those very re- people that were rejected before might just be coming back to the country having heard this? Absolutely.
4: I, I, I know that uh, there was one individual, and I, I forget his name, but he, he was a Somali individual who actually first went through Central America worked his way up into the U.S. and was actually convicted of engaging in terrorism with this particular cell that was associated with uh, Al-Shabaab in the U.S. And that's the kind of danger. And, and you know, the the opposition, the people who are in favor of sanctuary cities will say, well, those that are not in favor of sanctuary cities are creating a climate of fear. And I beg to differ. I think that those who are in favor of sanctuary cities are creating... An environment of fear. An
3: actual environment.
4: Yeah, literally, because we are essentially, what we're doing is we're bringing in people who are undocumented. We have no idea what kind of crimes they may commit. They are, in fact, as you said, criminals just by entering into the country illegally. And there are statistics in the U.S., um, well, what, you know, the big question for
2: me is: I agree with what you're saying here, but why does it seem that so much of the public and certainly our politicians do not seem overly concerned with these facts? They, they, they. Uh, well, it's just an anomaly: these odd people that might commit a violent act or do this. Is is, is that their attitude? Are they playing the numbers in a different way? Is this this is this a game for them?
4: Well, let me tell you the the case here in in London, Ontario. The politicians, if you ask them. The minute after they voted for the sanctuary city motion, they would have told you, "We don't even know what sanctuary city means." Yeah, so I heard they, that a, lot. A, a A huge knee-jerk reaction on on the politicians, and what's key is that this motion was passed the day after the Quebec mosque shooting. This motion was passed merely a couple of weeks after the the Trump executive order.
3: As a matter of fact, let me just read from the motion in London, Ontario here, and I think the preamble outlines exactly the motivation for some of this, Uh, calling uh, London a a sanctuary city. Uh, Quote, that the following actions be taken in response, and here it is, to the president of the United States of America's executive order to ban individuals and families from Syria, Iran, Sudan, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, and Somalia from entering the United States of America. That's the preamble. That's their justification That's their moral justification, so-called. And that speaks volumes. This is, as you call it, a knee-jerk reaction to a president who the left have vilified for being anti-immigrant, and yet I can find nothing that Donald Trump has ever said about being anti-immigrant. It's always anti-illegal
4: immigrant. You're you're absolutely correct. And what's key here is that I don't hear those who are against trump the left particularly ever mentioning anything about the deporter in chief president barack obama who from 2009 to 2015 deported 2.5 million undocumented illegal aliens and that's not even including those who self-deported so i didn't hear this oh we are we have a whole bunch of people who are being deported um These are families being broken apart. I didn't hear that when President Obama was doing it. So why is it the case that when Trump comes out, especially with uh, Secretary Kelly on February 13, 2017, saying that we're going to deport those who have committed crimes, who are part of gangs, who are um, who have violated the nation's immigration laws. I I don't I mean, this is just him enforcing the law. I don't understand why there is such a backlash. So this just seems to be an excuse, uh, like like you mentioned. and, And it's just unacceptable. Meantime, a stark warning today from human rights group Amnesty International. The organization
1: believes human rights are at risk because of the current political climate tied to, yes, Donald Trump, says Amnesty. Their annual report on the state of human rights takes aim at him, saying, quote, Donald Trump's poisonous campaign rhetoric exemplifies a global trend toward angrier and more divisive politics. The report also highlights Canada's stance, though, on refugees, praising the fact that the Canadian government accepted close
4: to 40,000 Syrian refugees last year.
5: Should London become a sanctuary city? Our Merrick Sutherland was at a public meeting last night discussing that motion.
1: The consultation question officially was what city services should be offered that aren't already to undocumented individuals. But rarely did the conversation remain in that lane for
5: long.
1: City staff tried to keep on topic, but often the topic was steered to non-related areas. Several city councilors were on hand for the start of this meeting, trying to gauge the public's feeling, but Councillor Harold Usher was left with a very big question. And the first thing I wanna know whether sanctuary is the appropriate word. Maybe we made a mistake in using this word. The security factors were a big part of this discussion.
5: How are you gonna ensure Councillor Tanya Park introduced the motion earlier this month, stating that this was mostly a symbolic gesture. City staff will take the recommendations and report back to a city committee at a future meeting.
2: Now, Amir, you were at that meeting that occurred one week ago today, and I've heard many accounts of it. Some of them are a little bit different, but being a first-hand person sitting there right at the meeting, what were your impressions of what happened at this And then who sponsored the meeting? That's another thing. Who was actually the sponsor of the meeting?
4: The meeting is very interesting because the city council in London decided on becoming a sanctuary city. Then they went ahead and had the public consultation. They never had the public consultation initially and then go to uh, voting on the matter, which was a bit troubling from from the get-go. Now, the meeting itself was heavily... uh, Populated with folks that were that are part of the the Occupy movement, uh, no one is illegal, which is another organization. I mean, we'll be
2: hearing from them later.
4: Uh, Solidarity across borders. I mean, there's a num- number of I would say fairly Marxist uh, organizations that were that were there, and they wanted to make sure that at every table there is at least one or two people from them representing their voice. I was. I was surprised. I thought it was it was great to see the number of people who were actually opposed to the Sanctuary City motion. Of course, I, being someone who's championed the, the petition, didn't expect that many people to be against it and to be present at that meeting. So I was very pleased. I was very proud. I think that it was great for the City of London employees to hear the fierce opposition to this motion. Now, one thing that I had problems with was it was kind of clear that there was a bit of an implicit bias by city hall employees and the bureaucrats. And that they actually favored London becoming a sanctuary city without even hearing the perspective of different Londoners. Mm -hmm. And that was a bit troubling because I got into a bit of a back and forth with a particular individual who works for the city. Other than that, really, the the main way that they collected data was through a sheet of paper, which they asked residents of London who attended the meeting, whether or not, or rather, which municipal services should be expanded to serve and protect and to, provide, to be provided to undocumented illegal aliens. It's almost like a negative billing question. Precisely, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, it's been our experience in local politics, and I was on the school board here in London for um, eight years. Um, and very close to municipal politics, that all of these so-called public input meetings are there to basically endorse what has already been decided. These are all for show.
4: Absolutely, it's a check in the bo- check in the box. Yeah, right? yeah.
3: Public input. Yeah, we had that.
2: Yeah, that's that's how they justify things. How many people would you say were at the meeting, give or take? About 150. Okay, so that's uh, quite a that's quite a large amount. And that's a good large. turnout. What I found interesting about this whole thing is this is a pretty big issue. And what prompted you to start a petition called No to London, Ontario, Becoming a Sanctuary City? What would make you actually take that kind of risk? Surely you must have known you were taking sort of a risk making a political move on an issue that has, you know, the federal governments all up in arms about uh, M103, the provincial governments are making their own motions condemning quote-unquote Islamophobia. Aren't you afraid you're putting yourself right, right on the target line for some of these groups?
4: And yeah, well, yeah absolutely. But I think at some point we have to stand up to the politically correct, uh, social constructivist, postmodernist uh, society that we have today. In which, if you oppose a certain idea that doesn't meet the agenda of those who call themselves progressives, but are hardly even close to it, I would say they're regressive. If anything, Um, have you been listening to
2: us? (laughs) I'm smiling here because he's using all the right words.
4: (laughs) I mean, but it's true. It's, It's that though, if you, especially if you're living right now and you are, let's say, male and white, you're automatically privileged. You are automatically a white supremacist anything that you say that's opposed to any ideal that comes out from the regressive left. And I think it's just, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. It's, it's actually eroded our civic culture here in, here in Canada and the West in general. And that now I feel like I have to silence myself for wanting to freely express what is actually just a matter of me saying, let's enforce the law and let's uphold the law because these immigration laws were created for a reason. There's a reason why we have borders. We don't just let anyone in. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the people that was there at the public meeting that you mentioned was wearing a Vladimir Lenin shirt. No kidding.
3: And no Che Guevara shirts?
4: Well. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> they've gone full Vladimir on us, have they? Yeah. <laughs> so, <Full Vlad. laughs> so this this person just ran right to my, t- like, sat at my table started saying that I'm a traitor to this country, which is just quite ironic. And I was so disgusted by the fact that this person, who is saying we should be a sanctuary for illegals, had was wearing a shirt representing a person who killed millions of people, who made millions of people suffer in the world. You know, it's like me wearing a, a shirt of Hitler or Bin Laden or, or something like that. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh. And and so it's, it's just disgraceful, some of the pe- people that are in favor of this. And I you know, again, someone's got to stand up. We all have to, as a matter of fact. And I don't care how politically risky it is. I will stand firm and I will tell whoever that needs to be told, whether it's city council or the federal government, the provincial government, that they have an obligation. The first order of government is to protect the citizens of this country. And we are not responsible for anyone else in this world other than the citizens of this country. And that's the thing, is that these... People who think it's some sort of kumbaya in this world, right? That we are living in some sort of fantasy land where everyone's getting along together, that no one's there out to harm us, is bogus. Yeah, that's that's right. You know, I don't, I
3: don't think I've, have stopped believing in the uh, good motives of a lot of these people. I'm sure that some of them have in the back of their minds that everybody's, everybody's good in nature and that it's just perhaps just a few of us who are, are not. But I think that some of these people behind this movement are truly evil. I think they are truly trying to destroy what's good in the world, what's good in this country, by saying, for example, that no one is illegal. That, on the face of it, is Orwellian. No one is illegal. Yes. Factually incorrect. But not only that, it speaks to a mindset that says that facts don't matter truth doesn't matter reality doesn't matter no one is illegal is totally oxymoronic or Wellian in the extreme and has be pointed out that this is um this is not good intentions this is no. evil
4: yes uh it's double speak double speak yes yeah. anyone who has approached me and said that they are in favor of london becoming a sanctuary who has given me death threats or has insulted me or you name it the only argument they've provided against what I'm putting out is one of emotional rhetoric there there has been no facts absolutely no facts provided I have statistics here from the US we have I don't have statistics from Canada because only it's only been recent since we've uh, had sanctuary cities But it says 11.7 million illegal immigrants, representing 3.6% of the population. This segment of the population accounted for 13.6% of all offenders sentenced for crimes committed in the U.S. just in 2015. 12% of murder sentences, 30.2% of kidnapping sentences, 17.8% of drug trafficking sentences, 11.6% 11.6% of fraud sentences, 10.4% of money laundering sentences, and 21% of national defense sentences. Oh,
3: now you're just creating a climate of fear here, Amir. Don't you know that? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that, no, you're not. You're, what you're telling us are the facts. Yeah. You know, this is not creating a climate of fear. You're being the the, the um, messenger. Yeah. You're telling people. Explaining the climate that's here now.
2: It is here now, right. yes. In in preparing this petition, was this done in your name only, or under the name of the London Institute? No, this before? was name in my name. This was put in my name. This was strictly your, your yep. name. So, so you separate your yourself on this petition issue from what you do with the London Institute. Yes. Just before we go and listen to some of this emotional rhetoric, maybe you might want to tell our listeners, who would probably be new to you and even to our London area, what the London Institute
4: is. The London Institute is a not for profit public policy think and do tank. Mm-hmm. And it has a focus like on public policy that is geared towards improving the city of London and its surrounding uh, regions. So you, you, you talk about anything that affects London? Yeah, so everything oh. from local economic development policies to planning to things like one thing that we're focusing on right now are, is the concept of smart cities. And, and and making sure that we're providing the recommendations necessary to this to this city council that uh, you know they they should either adopt or not adopt various methods of implementing a smart city initiative.
2: Given that you are with the London Institute, why would you then separate? And this is a London issue. Why would you make that this, this petition separate from the London Institute?
4: Well, the London Institute is very much strictly independent and non-biased, and uh, the focus is primarily on uh strict research uh and, and and so obviously there's nothing wrong with the position that I've taken but uh it is a a fairly partisan uh, it, uh issue at hand and therefore it is uh, kept out of the uh, methodology that we take at the London Institute.
2: Okay, that sounds very very similar to what we do occasionally too, and we do things through an ad hoc approach, uh, Mm -hmm. apart from some of the other groups we might be associated with. Well, we thought it only fair to hear a voice from the other side of this issue, and that will get into some of that emotional rhetoric you were talking about. And so what we're about to hear is the interview between co-hosts Ken Eastwood and Lisa Brandt of CJBK AM 1290's All New Morning Show. By the way, that's a show on which you appear every Wednesday morning with them as well. Right? Yep. And that's part of the reason why you're here. I heard you on that show, speaking on this very subject. But on this day, they were speaking with Selma Toba, who heads a group diametrically opposed to the objectives of your own petition. So let's give a listen and then find out if Amir thinks these are pretty much representative of the yes side of the sanctuary proposition. And, uh, of course, what you're about to hear was aired before the London public meeting that took place
4: last week.
5: Joining us right now is Selma Toba from uh, No One Is Illegal in London to uh, explain uh, their side and, and why we should go this way. Morning, Selma. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So tell me, why should
0: we be a sanctuary city? Um, well, we definitely believe that everyone should have access to all municipal services, um regardless of their documentation status. Um, I think it makes London more welcoming. I think it makes it more inclusive. Um, and I think it really brings people um, the ability to live without fear. And I think that's something that all Londoners can relate to and, and all Londoners really want.
1: Selma, one of the uh, the big criticism that uh, that we heard from uh, Amir Farahi yesterday was that, uh, simply put, this is, goes contrary to to federal and international law that a uh, a newcomer to a country must uh, seek services to the from the country to which they first entered. Uh, how do you respond to that?
0: Uh I think that's really in terms if we're talking about the Canadian context is the result of the Safe Third Country Agreement and there have been multiple calls to risk in that because what we've seen is that it really puts people at risk. I mean, just within the last few months, we've seen a large influx of individuals who are fleeing the political climate um, in the United States. And what we're asking is for basic human dignity to be respected. Um, and, uh, you know, we have Toronto that's a sanctuary city. We have Montreal that has recently done similarly. Uh, and I think London really should follow in suit and rest in really um, recognizing people's needs and their uh, ability to live in freedom and from fear.
5: We're getting uh, uh, some texts in that people want uh, us to ask you questions, Selma, okay? <laughs> all right, uh, here's one. Uh, ask your guests where the money is going to come from to cover extra costs to the system for these illegal people.
0: Well, uh, well first of all, I, I think the designation of, I, I don't believe humans can be labeled as illegal. Um, I think that's a, a misnomer, really. It's um a, a manner of saying that the individuals living in the city are undocumented mm-hmm. um and the p- people are living as residents in the city of London they're paying income tax they are contributing to the city in multiple ways um so it's a matter of being able to access the services without fear of incarceration or deportation
5: Would you relate uh, what we're talking about here with a sanctuary city to, say, the Underground Railroad, help, helping people um, escape their own country um, because of what's happening to them there?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you know we have a legacy in the city of um, being the end of the Underground Railroad and offering people hope and sanctuary, um, and so I think that we have an opportunity to continue that legacy, and we really should. What
1: does this say to people who are going through the correct channels to, uh, to, become, to come to Canada, and then we, we create these sanctuary cities that give the impression that, well, it, it's okay if you just want to you know, come across the border, you can have access to all the same services that, uh, that you would if you had done it in the legal way. What kind of message does that say to people who have gone through that effort?
0: I think what we should be asking is what is the message that we're sending to individuals that are living in the shadows and really fearing for their safety and for their lives.
5: Yeah, I think we're getting a lot of a response from from our listeners to do with um, allowing terrorists in. I think there's Mm -hmm. going to be a flood of people who are just uh, going to... Flock to London because we're, you know, so called sanctuary that they can uh, do whatever it is they want to do here. They think that the border is suddenly going to be flooded with people uh, coming over. Um, how do you how, how do you see this playing out?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really part of the campaign to spread fear and to say that we, these are individuals that should be feared because they are undocumented. Um, I don't think it'll cause a flood or you know have people come in, um, you know, banging on the doors of of our border just because we've named ourselves a sanctuary city. What we're saying is that all residents of London that are here in the city um, do not have to fear. Um, for their lives. to don't have to fear that they'll be picked up and um, made to leave because they've accessed our city services. And so really what we're saying is that we're creating this, a city that is safe. We're talking about library, we're talking about fire services, we're talking about shelters, we're talking about services that we access on a regular basis. Um, and so there are really things that we we depend on. And you know, like you mentioned, the library services offer all kinds of support for, for residents of London. Um, and so it's really being able to access those services.
5: So tonight, Tonight, this uh, public consultation meeting, are you, uh, you going to, what do you expect to happen tonight? What do you expect to hear?
0: Well, we're really hoping that the, the response will be a positive one in support of the, the city's designation. Um, and so far, the, the response has been very positive, and so we're hoping that Londoners will really step up and um, say that this is something that we want. We welcome the discussion and we welcome the debate. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, putting the points out there that what we want is for London to be something that is diverse and inclusive. And these are principles that I think everybody can get behind.
2: You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. We'd like to thank our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction. And we encourage those of you who listen to the show and enjoy it to do the same. Just visit www.justwritemedia.org to offer your financial support, and while you're there, sample some of our timeless past broadcasts. Now, we just heard from Selma Toba of No One Is Illegal in London, who appeared on CJBK AM 1290's All New Morning Show with Ken and Lisa, and uh, you were kind of chuckling and laughing and, and uh, reacting to, to what you heard there, Amir. Tell us what your basic reactions were.
4: Well, I'll start off with the, what she said in the beginning, which is that uh, the the organization, No One is Illegal, wants to provide access to municipal services, all municipal services, which includes housing, which includes service agencies that deal with poverty, mental health, addiction. Welfare. Welfare, you could say, as well. Um, not number. Uh, lot, libraries, neighborhood, and recreation. Uh, I mean, there's- Oh, there's... but she
3: mentions fire services, too, in F- case your house is on fire. You know they're there for you. Yep.
4: And e- the e-
3: EMS, <laughs> the London Health Middlesex <laughs> Health Unit. I mean, the the police services. I'm
4: surprised she didn't bring up the roads that we let them walk on the sidewalks the <laughs> <out>, you know. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, and and she says that we want to do this because we want to make we want to make sure that these criminal aliens are safe. And this is a very interesting argument that she is bringing forth because it's flawed in so many ways. The Canadian Border Service Agency and Immigration Customs Enforcement have said that once you create sanctuary cities, what you essentially do is you breed the grounds for human trafficking and human smuggling rings. And what that does is it essentially creates this advertising campaign by these human smugglers. And they try to lure these illegals from places across the world, primarily in Central America, to come to Canada by saying that they're going to provide them with well-paying jobs, that they're going to make sure that they're going to live a successful life. When they come here, they realize that, oh, they can't get a social insurance number and they can't work legally. And the city of London did mention that they wouldn't be able to work legally unless they did have documentation.
3: So they're not going to be paying taxes, as Selma has
4: said. As Selma said, no. First of all, you don't pay income tax to the municipality. I you know, would have hoped that an organization such as No One is Illegal would know the law. They clearly don't if they're in favor of sanctuary cities. Uh, but two, you, they don't pay income taxes because they're undocumented illegal immigrants.
3: They don't pay property taxes because they can't own property without properly identifying themselves, I would imagine, as well, eh? Yep.
4: So they are going to be working in the underground economy. They're going to be working in whatever black market that's out there. And oftentimes what the Canada Border Service Agency says is they're engaged in things like prostitution, domestic violence, forced labor, and now, you know now, who Who is the, de- the they we're talking about? I have to tell you, after
2: listening to her, I wasn't even sure we were talking about the same people. Here, up, to, up until I heard her talking, I thought we were talking about people coming to Canada from the United States escaping Trump. And what is she talking about? She's talking about these people are living as residents in the city of London, quote unquote, paying income tax, contributing in multiple ways. So it's a matter of being able to access services, which apparently they already pay for. How do how do people pay taxes, live in the city, contribute, and not be documented? <laughs> that to me
4: that, that well, was a complete non sequitur. The they can't. So yeah. she just made that up. She's
3: she's she's blowing smoke. <laughs>
4: yeah. No, precisely, and. And I think the the big big issue here is that these these people who are in favor of sanctuary cities. I mean, maybe their intentions are in the right place. I don't know, but I think they just can't differentiate between legal immigration and illegal immigration. I think that's the problem: is that they don't understand the concept of illegal immigration and a person not being admissible into coming into Canada.
3: What no. I have to what I have to laugh at is when she said that we're not talking about illegal persons; we're talking about undocumented persons. She's she's taken. The legality, and she's twisted it in an Orwellian way, not wanting to use the word illegal. She's always referring to these people as undocumented, uh, their undocumented status, and they shouldn't live in fear. Well, we're on to you, Selma. We're on to you. <laughs> They're illegal. It's right. not simply a matter of having, not having the right documents okay? It's having forged passports. It's impersonating other people to get across the border illegally. It's committing crimes that you could be put into jail for, or prison rather, for 10 years. That's not simply undocumented aliens.
4: No, the first thing that a person does when they cross over to Canada from the U.S. is they break the Immigration and Refugees Protection Act, particularly Section 18 of that legislation. And you can go look it up. Uh, It clearly says that you need to go through the proper channels in order to become a immigrant into this country. And that includes someone that's a refugee or an asylum seeker or a permanent resident or someone that's applying for a student visa, a temporary work permit. There are legal ways that you go about doing that, and they are there for the right reasons. And
3: you, you can speak to this personally, Amir.
4: Absolutely. My family, including myself, came here legally as permanent residents and eventually became citizens of this great country. And we fled from, from Iran, and, and again, we did that by waiting patiently, took about a few years, and we went through the proper process to come here. We didn't bypass the line. We didn't, we didn't try to figure out different ways that we can manipulate the legal loopholes, the immigration loopholes in, in, in this country. We did it properly. And that is what I'm saying is that we need to make sure that we're upholding these immigration laws rather than allowing for people to break them because that is a dangerous, dangerous path to take.
3: This may be (laughs) a good point to bring up why Donald Trump and the President of the United States, rather, has been singling out seven particular countries, the same seven countries, by the way, that Obama singled out, those being um, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, and Somalia. Now, other than Iran... Um, Salim Mansour on a previous show of Just Right identified exactly why these countries are singled out. And it's not necessarily because they are predominantly Muslim, which they are, but they are not the only countries which are predominantly Muslim. It comes to mind um, Indonesia, being the biggest Muslim st- state in the world, is not on this list. So it's not because they're Muslim. What is it then? Well, Salim pointed out that these countries, with the possible exception of Iran, are failed states whose passports and documentation and identification processes cannot be trusted. You can come from Syria, Sudan, Iran, uh, Yemen, Libya, and Somalia, and nobody knows who you are, even if you have a passport. We cannot verify anything from these countries. Therefore, they are singled out. Iran is singled out. I think, and I think Salima said this as well, though I have to go back to check, is because they've declared war on the United States. They have a day off where they chant in the streets, death to America. So why would anybody want them in their country? Present company excluded. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're right. So if you look at the executive order, not a single one of those countries has actually mentioned them. If people actually read the executive order, that would be great. Instead of going and, and listening to the mainstream media or reading various articles within the New York Times and the Washington Post that are heavily biased, if they actually go and read the executive order, the only country that's mentioned in the actual order is Syria. And I quote the actual executive order. It says, I hereby proclaim that the immigrant and non-immigrant entry into the United States of aliens from countries referred to in Section 217A12 of the INA8, U.S. Code 1187. And that specific reference is to the the actual legislation passed by President Barack Obama called the Visa Waiver Program Improvement and Terrorist Travel Program. Preventions Act of 2015. President Barack Obama and his administration identified those seven countries to be a primary and and the most critical national security concern to the U.S. And in fact, when we hear that President Trump's executive order is uh, contrary to uh, human rights laws and, and a whole bunch of other reasons that the mainstream media brings about, or various judges as a matter of fact in the U.S. it actually there is actual legislation if you look at the INA 8 U.S. Code 1182 subsection F it's titled suspension of entry or imposition of restrictions by president that is the title of the of the specific um, legislation and it says quote Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. So as a matter of fact, President Trump is really just following the law. He has not broken the law. And what's really interesting and, and something that the mainstream media and the and the regressive left don't bring up is that in 2009, the US government discovered that two Al-Qaeda Iraqi terrorists living as refugees in Bowling Green, Kentucky, later admitted in court that they, would, that they actually attacked the United States in Iraq through various soldiers and compounds of the U.S. had. And it prompted the Bureau to assign hundreds of specialists to an around-the-clock effort aimed at checking the, the archive of over 100,000 improvised explosive devices collected in the, in the war zones. And what's interesting is that the Obama administration stopped processing Iraqi refugees for six months not not three months, six months in 2011. And did, did we hear the outcry in the mainstream media? Oh, I didn't hear anything. Did, did we hear
3: the media? outcry at City Hall here in London, Ontario? No. Nope.
4: No, what they do is they single out President Donald Trump. Right. So, so not only did the deporter-in-chief, President Obama, take out, by enforcing the law, as a matter of fact, 2.5 million illegal immigrants, more than President Trump... Not only that, actually, President Obama has even bombed five of those seven countries, killed innocent civilians with the help of Hillary Clinton. And he's done exactly the same thing as Trump by banning refugees coming from Iraq. I didn't hear a single word. So it begs the question. What is the motive here? What is well, the agenda? Uh, as I and said, I think it's pretty clear.
3: Yes, as I suggested at the beginning of the show, that some of these motivations can be construed as being um, benevolent. However, I think that the movers and the shakers in this movement are evil. They are definitely trying to destroy what's good in uh, Canada, the United States, by suggesting that these criminals, are just simply undocumented, that they haven't gone through proper paperwork, when in fact, no, we're talking about people who are criminals, de facto, who are um, a threat to their to the safety of this country, to themselves and to other people. And um, when they talk about being welcoming and inclusive, I just have to shake my head that they can look at some of these heinous people who would um, commit these crimes... Who would come into our countries, our safe, our already safe countries, and, um, and 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 suggest that you, Amir, or anybody else who might disagree with them, are simply fearmongering?
4: Yeah, and not only that. Actually, it's interesting because the uh, the person who is representing no one is illegal. Salma Toba said that in that clip, we welcome debate. We welcome discussion. Now, it's interesting because I went to have a discussion with her in a very civil manner over on on Twitter, and I I asked her a question because she posted that the statements made by people that were opposed to sanctuary cities were racist and xenophobic, which are two labels that are actually imposed on people when when they disagree with the regressive left. And, And I asked her, please specify explicitly where someone made a statement In the public consultation session here in London, Ontario, that was racist or xenophobic, and she couldn't answer it. And she said, listen, bud, I'm not here to have a debate or discussion over Twitter with you. Were valid points raised? Yes. I'm quoting her, by the way. Were they made disrespectfully? Yes. Or something like that. And again, the the, the simple question was not answered. She tried to refrain from, from answering it by labeling me as a racist or a xenophobe. And it's fascinating because one of the countries that Trump has banned is Iran. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm Iranian, so I guess I'm racist to my own people. So I, it, It's, it's just, just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And um,
2: the whole concept of, of sanctuary can take on different meanings. And one of my favorite shows from the 1960s, as many of our regular listeners know, was a half-hour comedy drama called Hogan's Heroes which took place in, World, in a World War II Germany in a German prison camp called Stalag 13, And it occurred to me in light of our theme today that in a way that whole series was about a sanctuary set up in the middle of Germany smuggling illegals in and out of that country.
1: It's fantastic. Why oh, should not have come.
2: All Germany is looking for me. They will find me. Very thorough, we Germans. I've put your work in danger. Baroness. Lily. Baroness is behind me.
1: Lily. I like that. Lily, our job right now is to get you out of Germany.
2: I will never get out. My picture and description are everywhere.
1: That's why you're going by plane.
2: A plane? From England? But where would it land?
1: We couldn't figure that out, so we're building one. (laughs) Right,
3: sure care to see our factory you are joking even free it would take months and you are prisoners fewer distractions
5: governor i understand your concern but i think the use of force would be premature at this time I am aware that there have been disturbances in other sanctuary districts, but we have to think about the hostages. I know, I've heard the rumors too. That's all they are, rumors.
2: In that scene from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the concept of a sanctuary as a refuge had turned that concept into one of a prison. No one could get out of the sanctuary without having to be screened and approved for acceptance back into the mainstream society of this imagined future. And I'm curious about the status of a person who might be in London under this sanctuary umbrella. What is the status of that person when they leave the sanctuary? When they leave, say London and go to another town in Ontario that's not a sanctuary, are they are they open game then, or do they still have some kind of protection? How, how do how do
4: they see envisage that? Have you ever heard that? So, so the definition and what has been declared by various municipalities that have adopted this is that an undocumented illegal alien will receive and will be granted access to municipal services without any fear of service providers asking them for documentation and for their status as an immigrant and so the key with that is the police that's the biggest component of this because police if they don't ask for documentation or if they know very well that such a person is or has broken the law they won't report it to canada border service agency and canada border service agency doesn't have that many excuse me that many resources to be able to identify all these people within the various cities in in this country and so they rely on local police to hand over illegal immigrants and to report illegal undocumented immigrants to canada border service agency but with the sanctuary city concept what happens is that really there becomes this situation where the local police are no longer going to comply with the federal immigration orders, and that becomes a serious issue. And we've seen cases, for example, in the U.S., I can name one case, and there are hundreds and hundreds of cases like this, where someone, for example, by the name of Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez, this individual was deported five times from the United States. Can you believe that? Five times from the United States and was convicted of drug possession, drug dealing, drug manufacturing, and obviously illegally entering the United States. This person was on probation in Texas when he fled to San Francisco. In March 2015, the federal government specifically Immigration Customs Enforcement, asked local police in San Francisco to hand Lopez Sanchez, who was deported five times out of the U.S., over to them. Local police decided not to comply with those orders. Why? Because San Francisco is a sanctuary city. And so they let Lopez Sanchez go, and literally two months later, a beautiful 32-year-old woman was walking her dog with her father on a bright, Summer day, and Lopez Sanchez decides to cold bloodedly, just single handedly, murder this 32 year old woman named Kate Steinle. And we see cases like this all across the United States because we're providing a safe haven for criminals and i read you the statistics now, that's
2: an interesting story because here you have a person who's already in the country in one under one jurisdiction moves to another and appears to be offered a quote unquote sanctuary or a protection that i would assume a non-immigrant person who perhaps was born in the United States, would not have. I don't know too many people who would be born in the States who could have a record in Texas, move to another city and claim sanctuary under that city. Does that
4: exist? Is that part of the plan too, to protect domestic criminals? No, this is more so those that are illegal immigrants. Those are people with really no documentation and no status. And so the key here is that the sanctuary cities become a very attractive place for these people who have broken the law because they know that it's a safe haven. So they wouldn't want to go to Windsor, Ontario, because Windsor, Ontario is not a sanctuary city, but they would love to go to London, Ontario, because they know that they won't be in fear of service providers reporting their status to Canada Board Service Agency, the RCMP, and CSIS. And so that that's what happens, is that all these illegals, they tend to go to areas where they know that they're going to be safe.
3: You're bringing up a question about the, uh, not just the legal liability of people who turned a blind eye to criminal activity, but a moral li- liability as well, especially with that case of um, Lopez Sanchez. The police in Canada take an oath to uphold the law, and I've looked at the oath last night. I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it basically says that we'll uphold the law. Although the criminal code um, does give them discretionary powers, the, given the seriousness, and I'm saying that is, again, up to ten years in prison for um, uh, being having a false identity in Canada. Um, given the seriousness of this, can you envision police being um, brought to task, either civilly or criminally, for not upholding the law as is their duty?
4: Yes, uh, that that's certainly the case. We see in the United States, lawsuits are filed on a regular basis the issue at hand as well as the federal government whether the federal government will allow for these municipalities and their local police to really do as as they wish in terms of not not complying and so when you have someone potentially like uh, Justin Trudeau as the prime minister it's likely that such a person will be okay with the concept of a sanctuary city and really we won't see that kind of uh uh, the, the conflict and, and really the issue between the federal government and the local, local government. So we saw that with, during the Harper era when Chris Alexander, the former immigration minister, had an issue with Vancouver becoming a sanctuary city and was not pleased with the fact that they were moving in that direction. And he made sure that Vancouver knows that you can go ahead and become a sanctuary city, but your local police will and must comply with federal immigration laws. We saw, for example, with Barack Obama from 2013 to 2015, 82,000 undocumented illegal aliens were let go into various communities after they committed a crime. 82,000. And ICE, uh, the Immigration Customs Enforcement in the U.S., has said that over 22,000 individuals just in 2016, the fiscal year, were asked by them from local police to be handed over 22,000 individuals were requested by ICE and those sanctuary cities where they have local police, where they have these 22,000 individuals, didn't comply with those orders.
3: You know, I've, I've come out on this show and said basically I think the idea of a wall in the United States on its southern border is a, is a nonsense idea. But I can certainly see from your statistics where some people can be clamoring for such a, uh, an obvious uh, measure. From what I hear, Trump, Trump's already taken bids
2: on who's going to build that wall.
3: Oh yes, no, he's moving rather quickly on it. But again, I, I still think any wall can be uh, circumvented. As a matter of fact, it's not a uh, yeah. anybody from Mexico can come into the United States um, on a tourist, you know, as a tourist. So, <laughs> or if they really choose to, I mean,
4: yeah, yeah, it's a really silly, very, silly yeah.
3: idea. However, uh, what you're telling us, Amir, is absolutely um, uh, astounding. Not just the statistics, but that in Canada, here in in, in London, Ontario, people can be so um, what's the kind word <laughs> Ign- <laughs> ignorant?
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about the, about the the consequences of their actions. And and you know the other key thing here is that f- those who are in favor of sanctuary cities will say, well, we live in this this again harmonious world, and when you know there's this sense of human dignity that we need to respect and all that. And we heard that in in the interview. Look, your, your human desires are likely to be unlimited. You want everything you want to take care of everyone in the world. But the reality is, is that we have resources that are not that are finite, they're scarce. And So when we have, for example, in a city like London, Ontario, where our labor force participation and employment rates are below provincial and national averages, we've been hit hard by the recession. We have thousands of folks, uh, as a matter of fact, 35,000 people who are living in extreme poverty, 60,000 people living in poverty, but 35,000 living in extreme poverty. That's 10% of the population. We have an HIV epidemic in this city, 56 diagnoses uh, last year alone. A mental health and addiction crisis. You walk in downtown London, Ontario, and you really see what's going on. It is not looking too good.
3: You go down to Dundas and Richmond, and you basically have to um, keep your eyes on the sidewalk and not make eye contact with all the people down there who are panhandling. And I actually had to walk over people who are basically actually naked yep. on the street, lying in their own vomit in doorways. Yeah. In, 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 in London, and that, Ontario. That's,
4: that's become common. You see people using needles just walking down the street. It's, you know, I, there's been instances where a, a business owner has had to actually chase down someone with a baseball bat because th- their kids were there witnessing two people using a needle right in front of them. You know, it's, So we have all these issues, right? And our municipal budget isn't too big. Yet, for some reason, these people think that we can welcome the entire planet into this city... And provide them with services.
2: Well, the hour is gone and Amir, I'm sure this is a conversation that we're going to continue again in the future and on behalf of Robert and myself I'd certainly like to thank you for spending the hour with us to share your views and the courage of your convictions and because if there's one thing I've noticed is that you don't seem to be the type who would seek sanctuary from this debate. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a feeling we'll be seeing you again in the future and thanks Thanks for for joining us. Well, there's no sanctuary from our time constraints, so our journey in the right direction will simply have to continue next week when we invite you to join us once again. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the everything will be alright.
3: Now, oh, Baroness, welcome to Starlock 13.
2: Oh, Colonel
3: Hogan. You are Colonel Hogan. I'd be a fool to say no. <laughs> Lobo, get back up and keep a lookout, huh? Right. I'm sorry. It is just that I thought I would never feel safe again. Not even for a moment. For this moment, I thank you.
1: Our house is your house. Colonel Hogan, come along, Klink is looking for you. Klink? What's he want? I don't know. It seems urgent terrible timing both uh-huh. see Madame to her quarters, please I'll make this short Colonel
4: I will be safe here
1: Not if I can help it <laughs>